Hey everyone, this is your host, Jake Hirschman. Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast. We are excited to bring you Suja Organic as our sponsor for today's episode. If you go to shop.sujajuice.com and enter the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, you'll be able to receive 15% off their packages. Excited to have Suja on board and thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, here with my co-host, Andy Dolich, uh, and the second part of the Dolich duo and Corey Dolich, and excited to have him on. Uh, He's the SVP of Business Ops and Marketing for the Portland Timbers and Thorns FC. Um, Excited to talk to Corey a little bit about the new different. Uh, We are currently in this uh, phase of going from normal to the new normal to the new different, but we know new normal is not a phrase that uh, Andy likes to coin. So um, without further ado, let's get started. And uh, Corey, I'll start with, you know, the season's about to be underway. Fans are to some extent in a, in a capacity limited range uh, going to be available for you guys, um, you, you know, from an entertainment perspective and, you know, energy. We know that soccer is one of those that has the big, uh, you know, crowds and and being able to bring the you know excitement to um, the team on the field. What's going to be different in this new different uh, as you guys progress from a business perspective? Well, first, Jake, thanks for having me. I know we've been trying to do this for a while, and said co-host has put up a lot of obstacles and roadblocks to prevent that. So I'm glad we were able to make this happen. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's been, you know, uh, crazy and unbelievable and, you know, uh, difficult year for, um, you know, a lot of people and certainly in the sports environment, we've had, you know, a ton of challenges, you know, a little kind of context for us. So we have not had fans uh, in stadium since, uh, last March, we did get okayed to have 25% capacity as of this uh, April. So our first home games, which are scheduled for basically the next week and and subsequent week after, um, we'll have fans for the first time. And you know, it's you know obviously very exciting. We're really looking forward to it. You know, I think the biggest and most obvious thing is just what kind of the experience will be like from a health and safety standpoint. I mean, for us, that's the number one priority to make sure that people feel comfortable, people feel safe. And there's a ton of you know logistical work that's happening behind the scenes. And you see that happening throughout the country. Um, so, you know, fortunately for us, there's a lot of learnings that we can take from other entities, other organizations, be it sports or otherwise, uh, and integrate those best practices. So I feel that you know, perspective where we're in a, you know, a pretty good spot. Yeah. I think kind of the next biggest thing is you see this um, enhancement and, and sped up growth of specific technologies that are being implemented to basically, you know, parallel the health and safety protocols that are happening. And these are trends that were naturally are occurring in the sports industry and they, those got sped up very quickly. So, you know, something as simple as, you know, cashless technology and digital ticketing, you know, that is happening. It's happening throughout the country. And, you know, candidly, there's, you know, probably not a lot of backtracking that is going to be happening moving forward. You know, the second thing, and this is kind of more forward looking and it, it started to happen 
um, you know, obviously th this past year, you know, when, when we didn't have games, but something that I think a lot of teams really were, were focusing on from a content standpoint is, you know, how do you create, how, how do you replicate the live experience um, in a virtual atmosphere? And that is very, very challenging. Um, someone I know pretty well is really high on this concept of virtual season tickets. Uh, they might actually share it on this uh, podcast. But uh, candidly, I mean, thinking about things like that is, is really, really important as you figure out how to continue to grow your brand, how do you continue to tell your story, how do you continue to build relationships, because as we look at these, the staging of having fans return to uh, venues, look, it's going to be in a limited capacity, and the majority of your fans might not have an opportunity to go especially if you're a club that has, you know, significant international reach. So how do you replicate that experience through all of these virtual and digital and kind of new technologies? I think, you know, that is kind of the next horizon and, and you see a lot of, you know, good thinking and things that are already happening, but I think we've probably just, uh, you know, kind of, we're just at, at, at kind of the initial stages of that. And I think there's a, a ton more work that needs to be done kind of in that, in that environment, um, you know, over the next couple of years. Cord, two things about the Timbers and the Thorns. Uh, you're not alone, but there's not a lot of teams, both indoor and outdoor that have two teams. It's usually one team and that's what they're dealing with. Um, so first and foremost, any additional challenges other than more events with two teams playing at or near capacity? And the other point is that the level of fan avidity for Timbers and Thorns games is as high as any place in the country, well documented, uh, with the Army and people really getting into games, which is part of soccer's DNA. Um, how have you dealt with your fan groups and your management in order to, to move forward, even though now we have reduced capacity? You know, to, to kind of, well, to, first to answer your question about, um, you know, two teams, certainly there's additional work that comes with that, but in this type of environment, you know, having economies of scale and having two teams, um, and, and, you know, candidly having, um, you know, two voices to kind of share messaging that uh, in some respects is very similar in terms of, you know, our health and safety protocols. I actually think that is, it's a huge benefit and a huge asset um, because it's, you have, ac you have access to, you know, obviously multiple players, you know, multiple coaching staffs, um, you know, people that have different, um, you know, multiple audiences that follow those teams. Yeah. Exactly. So for us, I think it, it really enhances, you know, the overall reach of, of that messaging and, and, and the content. I mean, it, it, not to get too kind of off, off topic for us, but like each club, you know, has their own unique voice and brand, but at the end of the day, it's still kind of, there are still similarities and a through line between, you know, both entities um, and, and for us, being able to kind of combine both of those voices in a situation like this is, um, is super helpful. You know, as it relates to kind of your second point and just, you know, how to kind of maintain fan avidity and, you know, keep, uh, you know, that at a high level, 
you know, for us, it kind of gets back to content and communication and messaging. Um, and, you know, a little bit what I talked about at the outset, where there are so many things in people's lives that, you know, are competing for one's time. And for us, when we think about, you know, how we continue to grow engagement across both of those brands, it's less about, hey, we're competing against this entity or that entity, we're competing against time. So what are we doing to you know, be unique and be innovative and share our stories in the most dynamic way? That's really how we think about it, you know, regardless of you know, if it's a digital activation or a social activation or a grassroots program. You know, for us, it's let's think differently, let's think uniquely, let's always try and stay on the front foot um, and be consistent as well. Like you can't have huge, you know, moments where you're, you know, just not communicating to people because they'll forget about you. So, you know, just at a high level, that's how we really try and, and view it and focus on it. And, you know, whether it's a situation where we don't have fans or not, the overall viewpoint on it still remains the same. Corey, it, it's interesting. You mentioned time because, you know, Zandy's coining kind of the, the phrase, the new different, right? Like time is also looked at differently now than it ever was before the pandemic. Uh, everyone's looking at their 24 hours in a day and their schedules and how they go about things and what's important to them just a little bit differently. For some people a lot, for some people a little, but as you think about how you're capturing time and how it relates to even just the inner workings of your organization and your department and and working in sports, we all know working in sports to be kind of these long hours um, away from family, away from, you know, maybe maybe a long homestand, right, of, of stretch of a couple of games. Is anyone thinking about it differently now or is it reverting back to the same old ways? Yeah, I mean, look, you have to have balance, um, you know, across all aspects of your life. Um, you know, one, one thing I would say is I don't know if if my dad has tried to trademark the new different, but I think I hear that every other day, um, you know, for the last six months. So, um, well, Jake hears it every other day. So that means you both hear it every day, plus all the other people. I just shared it with an NBA team president and he went, Hey, that ain't bad. Thank you. Okay. Oh, continue. Keep working on that. Um, you know, in, in terms of kind of how I've looked at it, I mean, especially in a working from home situation, everything is a little more, I don't know if I want to say difficult, it just takes longer. Um, and especially with updated health and safety protocols and access to players and access to different people, there are more um, processes that you need to go through to get stuff done. So you need to be really thoughtful with how you plan things out because where you could just go to training and get a soundbite, you can't necessarily do that. And that type of process is probably, you know, there's three to five more steps that you need to think through. Um, kind of stepping back from a broader standpoint, I mean, I, I just really try and preach to the staff is like, hey, you have to have balance. We, we got to make sure that, you know, as much as we can, um, you know, allocate responsibilities across, you know, various people within the department. And one thing that I've seen, and I wouldn't say it's just within our group or our organization, but, you know, candidly, probably across sports and other enterprises is people are, um, I would say they're kind of just doing this naturally. They are building new skill sets as a function of 
areas that maybe are under-resourced that we need to basically address. So whether it's, you know, someone that's just focused on, you know, social digital, they're building out kind of video skill set and editing and so on and so forth. So you're seeing this, you know, jack of all trades phenomenon, uh, at least, you know, in my experience, and I give a ton of credit to, you know, the people that I work with for being super proactive and just doing that on their own, because number one, it helps the enterprise, but number two, I think it's a great thing for them as they continue to grow in their career. So uh, we probably have some listeners that are sons and daughters of fathers and mothers who've worked in the business and thinking about uh, the age of growth, we might even have grandchildren that are listening. Could you walk through just a bit on when you first realized that I was in the sports business? And then just a quick overview of your time um, in saying, hey, you know, if that moron could do it, anybody could do it when you started looking at the business. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm super fortunate to, you know, be in the position that I am. And, um, you know, one of the proudest things that I think about, you know, candidly every day is the fact that you're my dad and, you know, what you've accomplished in the industry is is pretty phenomenal. Um, so, so you got the check that I sent you last week, right? Yeah, it was a little short, but, okay. um, Thank you, very much. you know, you can follow up with, with another one. Okay. Um, you know, I, I would say just as I kind of look back on initial memories, you know, it was, I don't know, when I was eight, nine, 10, um, you know, going into the office with you when you were working for the A's with, you know, my buddies that lived in, in the neighborhood um, and just being a part of that experience. And that's one thing that I just really, really valued. I mean, it, it's interesting now because, you know, back then, you know, you're 10 years old and, you know, now, you know, I have kids and I'm working in it and just, the value of what those experiences are, you, you obviously you're just not old enough and you don't have life experience to understand what it's going to be like, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. But you know, when you're having a catch with Bryn Alderson, Sandy Alderson's son, who's president of the Mets and Bryn has been with a number of teams, right. And you're playing uh, ball in the halls. I just think the biggest thing is you always found balance within, uh, work and life. And even though you were working for a baseball team that had obviously a ton of games, I never felt like you weren't present. And that is, I, you know, it's really hard for me to kind of put into words what that means. Um, and that it just was, I don't know, a great, a wonderful experience. Um, and I think I just kind of, you know, learned a lot through osmosis and being around it and having an affinity for it. I mean, obviously playing sports, you know, that helps too. But I think those were the days where it was like, this is something that, you know, was cool. Uh, you know, granted that's, you know, maybe oversimplifying a little, but um, I think it started to kind of, I, I, ignore, I recognized what maybe it could be down the road. Um, and I yeah, just do you remember oh, the video interview they did with you when you were sitting at my desk. Maybe uh, you can maybe no, I, you can relate it to Jake in the audience. Yeah, I think it was for your 40th birthday, and you know they had me come in and basically fire you. Um, <laughs> I think it was something to that effect. Uh, they didn't necessarily follow through on it at that point, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just a ton of great memories being around it. I mean, you know, we played pickle in the hallways with a. Uh, um, 
you know, a, a paper ball that we, you know, had, you know, had scotch tape wrapped around it. I'm sure all of your coworkers were annoyed with us as we were throwing things around. I think we broke a few things, but nothing too important like a trophy. Um, and then, I don't know, there's just like one moment, like one memory that I, that I always point to is something that just, it was super cool. And it, it, it just really always resonated with me, but we were fortunate enough to watch BP from the field one day and um, the A's were playing the Blue Jays and George Bell came by and, um, you know, we were with our buddy, my buddies, Kevin and Ryan Dunn, and he put out his hand and he was just wanting to give us a high five. But one of my friends, he had like a pack of gummy bears and he thought that George Bell wanted the gummy bears. So he like put a bunch of gummy bears in his hand and he ate them and then he just walked away and smiled. But um, no, it's just kind of those moments that sports, I think from a broader standpoint, they're so special. It's the interaction with the athletes. It's the interaction with family. It's the interaction with, it, with friends. It's like the memories that, that you can make with each other. I think that's what's so powerful about sports and why we all love it and kind of when you really distill it down that's what makes it so special and you know being able to experience it at that age um i, I think it kind of subconsciously really resonated with me and um you know here i am today as as the outsider in this conversation um you know a lot of people grow up and they see what their parents are doing whether they're a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or whatever profession uh, occupation that they have did you ever look at what andy was doing and go yeah i don't know why i would ever want to do that or <laughs> were you always enamored about you know the things that he was able to accomplish in the places and you know the different stops he've had along the way yeah i mean i never really took you know view, viewed it that way i think it was always very much from a kind of a positive place i mean my sisters might feel differently um you know, one of them is a PhD. She's clearly the smartest one. So maybe she was the one that looked at it and said, Hey, this just definitely isn't for me. I'm going to go this other direction. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it was always, you know, there was just a lot of enjoyment and happiness and fun. Um, and I think, you know, part of it is a function of, you know, like I said, sports, but part of it's a function of just like, you know, son, son to dad, or, you know, daughter to mom or daughter to dad or whatever the you know parent to child relationship is and just having opportunities to you know be together um and even if it's in maybe a non-traditional setting where you know your parent is working you still felt this connection and that's the thing that I just always I always look to it never felt like there's the work dad and then there's the real dad it was just dad um, and, and, you know, one of the points that Corey brought up that I was just thinking about, Core, today, Steve Vucinich, who's been the trainer of the A's, announced that after 54 years, he's retiring after this season. And so the Haases, the people that own the A's, and I was with them for 14 years, they were family oriented. You hear it all the time in sports, right? In the front office, we're a family. How many teams are truly a family? not a lot. They talk about it, but they don't do it. And you can't fake it. And the Haas family, to Corey's point, there were, there were more kids running around the office. I think one year, literally, we had 24 children born to the players and the front office staff 
three sets of twins, ours being one of them. I think Mike Gallego had twins and Dave Beard or somebody. So that teamwork that everybody talks about sometimes can be very thin because if you aren't real about it, if you aren't doing it, then it's fake. And so all the hours that you spend, the glamorous high paying hours that you spend in your sport or sports, um, you can't fake it. Um, it's either real or imagined. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, talking to a couple of coworkers just about our existing situation and, you know, we're interacting with each other probably more than we're interacting with our own families uh, at different points over the course of the, the year and the season. And, you know, there's always going to be, you know, disagreements and, um, you know, people aren't going to see eye to eye and that's natural. But um, if we didn't like each other and get along, that would be, be really, really difficult. So, I mean, I just kind of look at the organization and, and certainly my, my staff and the people that I work with very closely and, um, you know, just give them a ton of credit on just the way that they approach things and, you know, how, how you know, they support one another. Corey, as, as we start to, to wrap things up, I, I have to throw this one to Andy in that um, he stumped me a couple of times. I don't think I'm going to stump him here, but you were a baseball player at Tufts, Tufts University. Uh, they have a mascot that is definitely uh, one not, not as common as, say, the Bulldogs where I played. Uh, Andy, what do you got? Oh, you got the jumbos, baby. You got the jumbos, the elephant right? I mean, you got the elephant, I hadn't thought a lot about it, the Tufts Jumbos in college and the A's elephant. Boom. Pachyderm power. Pretty interesting. Jumbo, Jumbo the elephant, like where did that come from? When you said, I want to play college baseball, and you, and you were like, I'm going to wear an <laughs> elephant on my hat. Like, <laughs> thought process? I don't know if I had a ton of options to say, hey, I wanted to play here <laughs> or there. I think it was like, are you able to, you know, are, are you, are, you know, am I, am I going to be able to make the team and play? Oh, this is my option. Then, you know, it, it kind of answers that question for you pretty easily. But um, playing baseball in New England is always, you were in the Redlands, right? So it was always beautiful. Uh, when you're coming up to bat and it's 31 degrees and the pitcher's really throwing, not the easiest. But in answer to your question, Jake, I think P.T. Barnum, who was Barnum and Bailey Circus, was from that part of Massachusetts. And somehow, I don't think he went to Tufts, but um, somehow his elephant, circus, sucker born every minute, and jumbos tied together. I'll have to research it, but I think so. Yeah, I would fail my Tufts history, um, but that uh, generally sounds accurate. Did I'll leave you it at that. Did you have, um, I, Andy, to your point about Redlands, uh, we had one rain out in the, in the entire uh, three years that I was there. So it was about as clear as day for all the other games. Uh, I think, Corey, they had snow outs, right? Yeah. We, uh, so I, I, we were pretty lucky. I don't feel like there was a ton of, I mean, look, we played in a lot of really bad weather. And I definitely remember times where we're out on the field and it was like snowing and I couldn't feel my fingers and that, you know, obviously wasn't super pleasant. Um, but overall, I think we were pretty lucky in terms of like, Hey, you know, we couldn't play this week worth of games because of horrific weather 
early on, we'd always go down, like do a spring trip down in, um, you know, the, uh, you know, like Virginia and South Carolina and North Carolina. So, you know, obviously all those games happened, but yeah, it was a, you know, different baseball experience than the, the nice warm weather of California. And Jake, small world, but one of Corey's teammates, John Mugar, um, the founder and driving force behind TBT, the basketball tournament. Go figure. Small world. Small world. Corey, I was going to ask you, how do you get into soccer? I know you started in minor league baseball, but, you know, baseball growing up, right, with the A's, with your dad, and then playing it and then going into minor league baseball where a lot of people have gotten their start in the industry. How do you get to soccer? Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of ironic because I was the and, – and I've, you know, told this to a lot of people. I was the only one in my family not to actively play it. So my younger twin sisters, they played um, through college. Uh, one of my younger sisters, she's, she's deaf. She now has two cochlear implants, but she actually played for the U.S. Deaf Olympic soccer team, and they won a gold medal um, in Australia, and that was back in – 2000 around the early 2000s um look my dad you know that's kind of where he started in the um, nasl so even though i wasn't necessarily actively playing it i you know had affinity for the sport and the game um and and understood it you know it's it's funny just kind of as we talk about like all the you know interesting interconnections that happen in sports so i found like an old timbers media guide from the nasl and it had like all the other teams and I'm looking at the diplomats diplomats, and looking at their front office staff and it's like director of marketing, Andy Dolish. And I'm like, that's hilarious. Like, I mean, I knew <laughs> that he worked there but it's just like when you actually see it in print you're like, we're kind of doing the same exact job but you know, years, you know, years, uh, years different, uh, years difference. Um, well, so, incidentally, just to be correct, I was the vice president and general manager, but let's not dwell on those details. Well, you might need to talk to whoever wrote the media guide because it's specifically- Oh, I was director said, of marketing for the Washington Capitals. Maybe you were looking at that uh, one. I'm pretty sure. All right. All right. We won't guy. argue in front of Jake and we only have so much time, right, Jake? I don't know Absolutely. if it'd be the first time for you to like, you know- Make something up. up, up expand well, on I wasn't- I, I wasn't going to say what about the new different? I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, it's a new different play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it was just, you know, it's just, it's, even though I hadn't necessarily, it it hadn't been part of kind of my upbringing in terms of playing, it's always been kind of a part of, of, you know, who I was at the same time. We, we started this podcast a while ago to, you know, provide advice and insights for those in the business for those who are trying to navigate their careers, uh, especially through this new different and this in these new times that we're in, but are in a similar position as someone like yourself, where they've got a family, they've got a lot going on. They're not just the single person moving around the country. What advice do you have to them that you've maybe learned over the last year or two, or uh, even, you know, a couple? Yeah. I mean, I'll just go back to kind of, for me when I was just starting out and trying to find my first job, because this is the question that I get the most when I talk to different people. And it was interesting because like early on, I was very much like, I don't want my dad to help me at all. Like I need to do this on my own. But 
at the same time, it would kind of be foolish for me not to at least leverage the existing network to have conversations. And look, if I wasn't capable of doing the job, then I think people would have acknowledged that and I wouldn't have you know, gotten that job or gotten that interview. So you know, what I would say for people is, and this isn't you know, surprising and it's something that they probably hear all the time is you know, how you build your network, but how you actually do that in reality can be a lot you know, more difficult and challenging and you have to really be disciplined in terms of reaching out to people and staying in touch with people. And that might sound super, super simple, but in execution, I don't really see it happening that much. Literally, I was on a conversation with a student today from the U of O that's looking to get into sports and get into marketing. And I told him, look, I've, I've been, been fortunate to, you know, a lot of people did, a, you know, helped open doors for me and I want to try and help, you know, those people, um, you know, get in uh, to sports, um, you know, just like I did. But I could probably count on one hand people that have actually followed up with me more than once after the initial call. And I've been very, I feel like I'm pretty transparent in saying, look, if you, if you ever need anything, you want to reach out, like, don't hesitate. I'm here. You have my information. We're connected on LinkedIn. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, always asking for a job, but let's just stay in touch and build a relationship. Like that's the key. Um, you know, identify big moments that are happening with the club and just shoot me a text or shoot me an email that's how those relationships build and form. And ultimately that's how some of those jobs get hired. I don't see a lot of that follow through happening as much as it could have. And it's hard because we all get busy and there's things going on and maybe you found that job, but you never know when you might need that person down the road. So, you know, the discipline to maintain relationships after that initial interaction, I think there is a Unfortunately, in my experience, a failure to do that as much as um, you know it, it should it, it shouldn't happen, um, and you know people can can drastically expand their network and and uh, kind of catalyze those relationships much faster if they frankly just stay in touch. The digital world we live in, there's pros and cons, right? It makes it so easy to do that, and it's a lot. Look, it's a lot easier said than done. To your point. But then there's also the cons of, you know, constantly being busy and not having time to just pick up your head, put your phone to the side, or, well, you kind of need your phone to call someone, but, you know, get away from the Zoom and just talk to people or meet someone for coffee once we get back into that, you know, routine, right? And really, truly forming the genuine relationships as opposed to just saying, oh, yeah, I'm connected with them on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, whatever, like, yeah, so was a thousand other people, right? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, to, to put it um, as, as we are reaching the end of this marathon session, um, you think about all the young people that are involved in sports and they, they're physically active and they work out and they, you know, have diets and all that. But how many of them carve out an hour a day or three hours a week to network? I mean, think about it that way. And if you did that, it's an incredible addition to the overall person. Yeah, yeah you I couldn't totally have said that any that. better. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's to, you know, again, we'll, we'll wrap this up, but the point you made earlier, Corey, is time, right? I go back to kind of the beginning, it's time. And so how are you 
scheduling your time, being a student of your own calendar, understanding what you're spending your time on. Um, and so with that, you know, as you look into the future um, and you think about what's the biggest change that we're going to see in business, in sports, in entertainment, uh, as we look forward and, and continue to adapt uh, to our current environment and society? Uh, I mean, two things, and I alluded to, you know, them a bit previously, but I just think how we optimize these virtual experiences uh, and expand that content to fans and supporters that can't necessarily go and experience a live event. Like live events are sacrosanct. I think those will always continue, but the majority of your fan base for most large teams aren't able to go to a match or a game. So how do you leverage existing technologies, be on the front foot with new technologies to share that experience. It's something that we think about a lot and it's a hard challenge because, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can go. Um, and secondly, I think there's a lot, there can be a lot of like specialization in sports, like this individual does this, but they just do that, or this group just does this. I think as we move forward and especially what the last year has taught us is those entities and individuals and groups that can be fluent in multiple skill sets, they're going to be a lot more um, adaptable and a lot more successful. So I think moving in a direction where, you know, you hire people that can do multiple jobs within kind of a functional area or even other functional areas is just going to, you know, make you so much more nimble and successful. Um, I think that at least kind of from what I've seen previously where it's just like very specialized, I think, you know, that might be a trend that will, will continue, um, you know, in the near future. Jack of all trades, master of all, as opposed to master of none. Maybe that'll be a new phrase we can coin. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It's like, you know, sometimes there's this perception that you can't, you know, do all of this stuff, but like, there's no reason why you can't build skills, you know, all these, you know, various skill sets at a high level. Um, you know, it takes discipline and it takes time and, you know, don't get me wrong, it's not easy, but part of it gets back to the individual and their approach to it. Um, and you can be great at a lot of different things. You just need to set aside the time and the focus to do it. Jake, S-A-K, you know, I'm big on three letters, Swiss army knife. There you go. Swiss Army Knife. The new acronym. Is that a way to end it? A hundred percent. Corey, really appreciate the time. Um, You know, I know I learned a a bunch today and uh, have quite a few nuggets to take away from the Dolich duo. So um, really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck as the season uh, is upon us. Corey, say say hi to the home team for me and your mom, and we'll see you fairly soon. Uh, looking forward to that. Thanks for having me, guys. It was uh, it was great chatting with you. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast. Remember, today's episode was brought to you by Suja Organic. If you go to shop.sujajuice.com and enter the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, you'll be able to receive 15% off of their packages. Excited to have Suja on board for the month of April. And again, thanks for listening and stay tuned for next episode.